Our Heavenly Father, we thank you deeply for your word. We thank you for the words that we have just read and for the words that we are about to read and study, peer into. We ask that you would grant us grace so that we might understand, unlike the Pharisees and Sadducees of old, that you would give us understanding in all things through the teaching ministry of your most perfect Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can turn to 1 Samuel 18. That's where we are in the chronology of 1 Samuel as we continue to look at David's life. Again, this is a very long chapter. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, nor will I preach on the entire chapter. Um, Last week, do you remember what we talked about last week? Who did what? David killed Goliath. Now, the important thing to remember about that is that David did that in the power of the Spirit of God. David had been anointed by the Spirit. He performed that deed in the Spirit of God. And he did it specifically to honor God's name. That was the key to the whole thing. The Israelites were afraid, even though the Philistine, the Philistines and Goliath himself were mocking God, taunting God's armies. And David was um, overcome. He was incensed by the, the arrogance of Goliath. And the Spirit of God allowed him to do a great victory. What we understand from these things we'll look at today is, again, this continuing theme that God does things in very strange ways. He does things in mysterious ways. And our duty, and the only smart thing to do, is to understand that, to really get a hold of the fact that God does things in a very different way than we would very often do them. And to, and I'm not sounding glib here, but almost... Like a surfer, just a surfer can do nothing unless a wave comes. They sit out in the middle of the ocean and they wait. They wait, and when the wave comes, they try and catch the wave and and ride it until it doesn't cake anymore. They have to do that. In our lives, and again, I'm not being glib, we have to wait on the Lord and watch Him move, and when we see Him moving, we have to simply move along in His direction even though his direction very often isn't as pleasant as a swim in the ocean. It's very often, it's very often like, you know, hitting, hitting the beach, rocks. And what we're going to see here today is one of the great snares that accompanies the Christian life. And that's the desire for the approval and admiration of other people. That is a a trap of the evil one. There's nothing wrong with being liked. There's nothing admirable in intentionally wanting to be nasty. There's nothing admirable or Christian in intentionally wanting to have people not like you. There's something decidedly weird and wrong about that. But to only be concerned about what other people think and to live your life for that... Well, then you will have your reward in this life. What truly matters is having the approval of God in this life and the next. That is really all that matters. And we will see a contrast between Saul and David once again. And we will see a number of sins that occur. Now, 
I will pick up the narrative in verse 5. The beginning of chapter 18 actually belongs in chapter 17. We talked about it a little last week. Um, Jonathan and David. Jonathan is is David's best friend and he's Saul's son. They become very, very close friends. Okay? Now, in verse 5, and I'm reading from the King James here. David went out wheresoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. We're going to see this aspect of David um, repeated over and over. He behaved himself wisely. What this means is he's not being a good boy. What this means is that he's obeying the commandments of the Lord. He is acting like a covenantally faithful Old Covenant Jew. He is, he is allowing the priests to perform the sacrifices uh, as he needed them. And he is performing his duties in a military and... Yeah, in a military fashion, uh, in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. He is living a life much like his son, Solomon, presents to us in the book of Proverbs. Even though, sadly and ironically, Solomon did not end up as the wisest man that ever lived. He did not end up that way. He wrote the book of Proverbs, but at the end of the day, Solomon contradicted virtually everything he wrote in the book of Proverbs, which is an utterly scary proposition to me. Now, David behaves wisely. And so Saul rewards him, and the men and the people accept him. David is beginning to establish his reputation as a faithful warrior. And we have to understand that that's very important in this stage in covenantal history because the people of God were literally physically under siege for a long time. Now, let's just rewind a little bit. Why were they physically under siege? It's very simple. Okay? When God sent them into Canaan, okay, they didn't do what he said. They did not destroy the pagans that were there. Now, we may find that abhorrent. We may say, man, God, God commanded like a genocidal campaign against the people in the land. Yes, he did. They'd been there for hundreds, if not thousands of years, um, acting in the most abominable way you can possibly imagine. And God wanted them wiped out. The ancient Israelites did not do that, and so the surrounding pagans were there. And they kept growing, and they built themselves armies, and they weren't happy that the Israelites were there. If the Israelites had done what they were supposed to do under Joshua then, hypothetically speaking, these Philistines wouldn't be a problem because they wouldn't be around. That was the old covenant mandate. We don't have that mandate. We don't have a mandate to wage physical war against God's enemies. We do have the right to defend ourselves, but we do not have the right to go into a country and say, you know, we're going to wipe you out unless you become Christians. Frankly, that's the Islamic way of doing things. That's not the Christian way of doing things. Christ's kingdom is not of this world. The weapons that we use are not of this world. They are supernatural. It is the word of God. It is powerful. It changes people's lives. It doesn't just lay them in the ground. It actually raises them spiritually from the ground and gives them a new heart, a new life, and the mind of Christ. So, we're going to see here a problem. It's called just being not smart. That's the nicest way I can put it. Everybody, it's really important to be wise. 
It's never a good thing to do things that might come back and bite you. Now, David doesn't do it, but these dancing girls do. They come back from this campaign. And it came in verse 6. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities singing and dancing. Now, why would they do that? Well, there's no Philistines running through the village taking them. They're happy. This is a good day. When you're physically safe, it's always a very good thing. Being physically unsafe, it makes everything else just more work. You know, worse. If you're in fear for your physical life, there's no possible way that you're going to aspire to higher things because you simply won't have the time. You'll be dodging bullets or arrows or spears. And the women were afraid that they'd be taken captive. It's just that simple. So they're out here dancing to meet King Saul. And in verse 7, we see the women making a grave musical mistake. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now we have a problem here, Houston, because this is not true. Okay? We have no evidence that David slayed tens of thousands of people on his own. That's an awfully high body count in the ancient world with just two hands, a slingshot, and maybe a sword and a bow and arrow. That's an awfully high body count. We have no evidence that, 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 that Saul even slain his thousands. The problem is, is they're not paying homage. They're not being smart. The women should have realized, and frankly, their husbands should have realized, hey, we have a king on the throne now named Saul who isn't the steadiest guy on the world. We have to tread like eggshells around this guy because he's a live wire. Now, we can assume that the news of David's anointing and his obvious exploits, that they were happy. They wanted David as king. Now, if you were in their position, you'd want David as king too. If you had to pick, you know, who would you pick? They made a bad mistake. Whenever God's people do it their way, they blow it. Hey, maybe, you know, we don't know what happened to Moses. Maybe he's not coming down. Maybe a golden calf will be a good idea. Definitely a bad move. Hey, you know what? We need a king so we can be like the other nations. Not a good move. Well, let's pick a tall, strong, and handsome guy. Definitely not a good move. David is God's chosen man. Now, what's interesting about this, looking at it from a divine sovereignty point of view, um, what God is going to do in this section of David's life is he is going to put him through the mill. He is going to run him through the mill. He is going to put him in dangerous situation after dangerous situation, over and over and over again. Why? Well, to train him to be a king and to, frankly, to break him down as a man and make him realize just how dependent he is upon Yahweh. This echoes what the writer of Hebrews says about Christ. And this goes true for our lives as well. Right now in your life, you might feel as if God is running you through the mill. As if he's just hitting the rewind button or the replay on the MP3 player. And you're hearing the same song over and over. 
You're going over the same struggles over and over. And frankly, you might be tired of it. You might be incredibly bored with it. God uses these challenges intentionally to break us down. This is not a message you hear very often today, that God would actually bring difficult circumstances into your life, circumstances that you cannot deal with. You've heard me say it, and you've heard this. You've heard people say, God won't give you more than you can bear. That's a a, a brutal lie. It's a misquoting of a passage from 1 Corinthians 10, where it says that God will not allow us to be tempted to sin beyond we are able. Every time we sin, it's because we say, you know what, this is just too hard to resist, or I don't want to resist. That's the verse that they've taken that from. Listen, very carefully. God will always give you more than you can handle. I shouldn't say always. But a lot of the time he will. Why? So that you will be forced to turn to him and realize, I cannot, I can't deal with this, Lord. I need divine help. What happens with human beings is when things are going our way, not always, but very often we have a tendency to forget the Almighty. And sometimes we have a sinful tendency to rest upon our own laurels and think that we've actually done these great things. Now, on the flip side, we do have the chance to do great things for God, to do mighty exploits for God. The book of Daniel says this. People will do great deeds, but it's always in the power of the Spirit. These ladies come out here, they make a historical mistake, they make a musical mistake, and it really, it really catches Saul's attention. All right? David slain his ten thousands and I only get a thousand. Hey, I'm the guy with the crown. This guy plays guitar for me when I'm tense. Okay, he's my little boy. Forget about Goliath. Now, he was under my command. I sent him out there. He's a private, maybe a captain. I'm the general. I get credit. Saul was very wroth, and he... The saying displeased him, and he said, They've ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed but thousands. And what can he have now but more but the kingdom? And then in verse 9, And Saul eyed David from that day forward. This is ominous. Saul now is viewing David as an enemy. It's never good to have a guy like Saul as an enemy because Saul is inherently unstable. You never know what he's going to do. He is, frankly, a nice bunch of guys. Okay? And there are certain aspects of his personality that are just flat-out dangerous. Just flat-out dangerous. And David has been placed in this position by God where he's, he's vulnerable. And it came to pass on the morrow, the next day, that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. Saul is undergoing this religious ecstasy um, under the oppression of this evil spirit who's sent from God. The text is going to keep telling us this evil spirit is sent from God. Now, we have to be very careful that when we go through hard times, not to think, oh, there's an evil spirit riding on my back. Okay? But there are evil spirits, and they are around. Okay? 
And they do dastardly things, but they are under the authority of God. They are not under the authority of Satan. This, this is a mistake that people make. A lot of Christians think that um, Satan is in charge of the evil spirits. Satan's not in charge of anything. Nothing. Nothing. God is in charge of every aspect of the universe including these evil spirits. That is a great mystery. That's a scary mystery, but it is a fact as well. We do not have anything to worry about. So David plays. Now there's a javelin in Saul's hand. And in verse 11, And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. This is important, verse 12. Saul understands that David has the Lord's favor. Saul understands that he does not have the Lord's favor. And this is a source of fear. So he tries to literally pin David to a wall with this javelin. You have to picture that physically. Saul's a big, intimidating guy. He's got this... Gigantic spear. David's sitting there strumming his lute, his little guitar, his harp, whatever he's playing. And Saul probably stands up and chucks this thing at him and, and misses. Now, if you were in David's position, what would you be thinking as soon as you exited the room? Hey, um, I was happy watching the sheep. <laughs> okay. Is there any way we can take back that oil, anointing oil ritual? Because... This isn't really all that fun. He's, someone just tried to murder him. And he can't leave. His divine appointment is to look after Saul when Saul is this crazy. God's put David in this position. And Saul is now beginning to understand just the level of seriousness of the decision. If the Lord is with you, then you have no, nothing to worry about. Life will be rough. Life will be excruciating at times. But if the Lord is with you, if you're saved, it's okay. On the flip side, if the Lord is not with you, it doesn't matter if you're on the throne. It doesn't matter if you have the, the world you know, in the palm of your hand. If everything worldly is going well, but you're not saved, it's going to add up to nothing. Now, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and forfeits his soul? Do you have the Lord with you? Are you a believer in Christ? Are you anointed by his blood? Does his blood shield you from the wrath of the Father? If so, then everything will be okay in the end. It will be tough going through this life, but at the end of the day, it will be good. If you don't, then I urge you to call upon the name of the Lord. And maybe you are a believer in the Lord. And you've hit more than a few rough patches. And it has affected your faith. That's another thing that the modern church... Some parts of the modern church just lie about. Listen, part of your Christian life, even though it's not right is going to be there'll be times in your life when you'll feel spiritually very stale. 
Even if you're doing all the right things, you just might not have that spiritual bounce in your step. It's just something we have to accept. It's no excuse for getting lazy with our spiritual disciplines. It's no excuse. But every day is not going to be smooth sailing. Every day is not going to be a a bouncing joy fest. No human being in his humanity, no human being had a closer walk with the Father than Christ. And his life on this earth was nothing short of disastrous. That's why we always see our Lord going off alone to get recharged. To get recharged. Jesus needed more than a weekly Sabbath because the pressure of the people all around him, um, what David was going through, paled in comparison to what Christ went through and what we are going through currently. We have to realize that God is putting David through the mill. He will put us through the mill. But ultimately, he really put his son through the mill. I mean, really. He wound that 33-year clock up and he hit start and there it was. And he did that for you and me. We have to remind ourselves of that. God loved me so much that he allowed his son. He ordained that his son would be brutally murdered to atone for my sin. You have to tell yourself these types of basic things over and over or else this world will seem to ground you into into powder, into dust. Story continues. Saul makes David captain over a thousand. And again, in verse 14, David behaved himself wisely in all his ways and the Lord is with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. This is ironic. Saul places him in a position of higher authority. David has success because of the Lord, and it messes with Saul even more. Showing once again that God arranges things in ways that we don't understand. Now what occurs is Saul gets this idea that um, he's going to give his daughter, Marab, uh, to David as a wife. Yes, ladies, there was a time when you didn't choose who you were going to marry. Daddy picked it for you. Daddy picked it for you. And if it was done right, the man would have to fork over to daddy three years worth of wages to put in escrow in case it turned out that he was a louse. You treated my daughter badly, you want a divorce. Not a problem. You get a divorce. I keep the three years of wages. You give a prospective father-in-law three years worth of gross wages to put in escrow. That tells the father, you know what? I think he's pretty serious about my daughter. <laughs> who, who's gonna, he, who can save up that kind of money? Saul reneges on this offer, and David, David doesn't want anything to do with it. David is very humble. He says, who am I that I should have, who, who am I that I should have Saul as a father-in-law. And he's not really worried about Saul killing him as his father-in-law. He's worried about the station. We see in David always 
recognizing Saul's status as king. In a future episode in David's life, he has a chance to kill Saul, and he refuses to do it. He says, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. David is leery of getting into the royal household this way. So this first daughter, Saul doesn't give him to her. But Saul has another daughter named Michal, Michael, if you'd like to pronounce it that way. In verse 20, she loved David, and everyone told Saul this, and displeased Saul. Now in verse 21, it says, And Saul said, I'll give him to her, him her. Why? That she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore David, Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law and one of the twain. He's sending Michal in there almost like a spy. But she's enamored with David. She, I mean, really, this girl, when it comes to getting a husband, in some respects, she really hits the Powerball here. There must have been a lot of ladies in ancient Israel at this time that really wanted to be married to David. It's a nice place to be, as long as he keeps dodging those spears. He's going to be king. Michal gets it. And she's not a snare to him. Now David, uh, Saul, um, sends him out. He sees that things are going properly. And in verse 25, you know, David, David doesn't want this. He's saying, I'm from this humble tribe. I, 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 don't, I don't deserve it. And in verse 25, Saul says, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires not any dowry. That's the three-year salary. David is basically saying, I don't have three-year salary. I'm, I'm, I'm from a relatively humble family. And Saul says, No problem. Just bring me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemy. Just go out and get a couple. Go, go get me a hundred Philistines and bring back me proof that you killed them. Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Well, David comes back. Hey, that's not a problem. Only a hundred of them? I've, you know, the ladies are saying, I've done 10,000. You know, I could take out a hundred. This isn't really a problem here. You know, do them one at a time. Took me a little bit of a time. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, and the days were not, were not expired. He realizes, okay, this isn't going to be too bad. A hundred Philistines, this is not going to be a problem. These guys can't fight. They're afraid of me. Michal loves me. Maybe being the king's son-in-law won't be that bad of a gig. So he goes out, and he gets the dowry. Doesn't have to cough up any money. Just go kill a bunch of Philistines. This is a good offer. He, he arises, and he slews the Philistines. He gets 200 of them. Gives Saul double. And David brings their foreskins. Now, I don't want to get gross, but, you know, why foreskins and not a pinky? Or a scalp? Here's why. Do you remember what David said about Goliath? Who was this uncircumcised Philistine? Now that's, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the law? Basically, and again, I'm not being glad. David is saying, you know what? I'll go out and I'll circumcise some Philistines for you. Yeah. He kills them, then circumcises them as proof. Because that was a sign you were in God's covenant. These people are dead, then they receive the sign of the covenant, and it's too late. 
too late. That's why it's the foreskin. There's a religious significance to this. Could have been any body part. Bring me their eyes. Bring me their heads. That would have been real proof. But no, it's the foreskins because it was saying you're God's enemy. And here's how I know you're God's enemy. Because you have not received the sacramental sign of inclusion in the covenant. Thinking of it in terms of our days. Is if someone said, I have to be careful here. Who are these unbaptized Muslims to think they can roll over Christians? Do you think of baptism that way? Even Saul gets it. When Saul dies, he, he tells his servant, you know, you know, please kill me so these uncircumcised fellows don't get me. You realize what an honor it is to be in God's kingdom. To have that water sprinkled on you. And God sprinkles that water. He says, you're in my covenant. You, and you're bound by the terms of the covenant. And the first law of the covenant is believe. And it's essentially wrapped up in love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love thy neighbor as thyself. Even those unbaptized Muslims, if they're our enemies, Christ tells us to love them. The new covenant, while easier on the physical side, is decidedly harder on the spiritual side. So you have to bring a lamb or a goat or a pair of turtle doves to the priest and he has to do this ritual. So what? You know, you go out and you kill people. It's a natural reflex when they're attacking you. We don't have that prerogative. We've been cleansed, not metaphysically by the water. It represents being cleansed by the Spirit, being washed of our sin. But when our enemies attack us, what does Christ tell us to do? Turn the other cheek? Really? A Roman soldier slaps you and you say, turn the other cheek. Roman soldier makes you take your, his backpack and you say, you know, uh, you, you want me to go a mile, I'll go too. Being a real Christian is hard. Really, living up to what Christ has told us to do? It's impossible. Or is it? (laughs) Is it? Are you experimenting with it? To see how much love you can show other people? Is it fun loving other people? Especially the people who can't stand you. Who make fun of you. Who exclude you. Who actively say nasty things about you. Is it fun loving them? Not tolerating them, but loving them. You see, there's a vast difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. At this stage in salvation history, you go out and you kill me some Philistines. In this day and age, we're called, in this stage of covenantal history... To rely on Christ, who is at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. 
We have to remember that Christ says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would. What does he say to Pilate? Then my servants would fight. Christians have got this wrong. And it's understandable because turning the other cheek, forgiving people, that is the most difficult thing on planet Earth to do. To tell somebody, I I don't hold this against you at all. The debt is wiped clean. It's as if you never did this to me. That's hard. That takes a lifetime of spiritual sanctification to be able to say, I forgive you, go in peace. And the only way we can do it is to realize that the level of guilt we have before God far exceeds what anybody has ever done to us. You know, you hear people say, I honestly, and it's scary when you hear them say, I think on judgment day my good good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. They won't, brother. They won't, sister. They will not. They won't. We sin in so many ways. We We cannot begin to count them all. Try counting your sins for six hours. Get one of those little clickers. Every time you have a, a lustful or greedy, covetous, nasty thought, every time you're absent-minded, being absent-minded is a sin? Yes. God's not absent-minded. He's perfectly aware of all his circumstances. Break a law of man if it's, if it's a just law? Click. Go 75 into 55. Click. Take it down to 65. Click. You're still in a state of sin. Sorry. Paul tells us in Romans 13. Obey the magistrate. Presupposing it's a lawful law. Abortion is not a lawful law. Tolerating certain sins is not lawful laws. Driving a speed limit? Yeah, that's reasonable. That's reasonable. Not stealing? Definitely reasonable. Not committing larceny? Definitely reasonable. If we were to have that clicker and count up our sins, we would come down with carpal tunnel syndrome within a day. Really. If God were to say, you know what, I'm going to give you perfect awareness of every single sin you did, your wrist would be fried by the end of the day. And I have to be honest with you, I'd have to use both hands. I'd get the other hand and I'd I'd come down with double carpal tunnel syndrome probably. The more God has given you, the more accountable you are. God has arranged David's life in such a way that, from our view, it looks insane. But this is the way he does it. And this is what he's doing with you. It's what he's doing with me. He wants to make us aware of our need of him. And you desperately need God. I desperately need God. And you know what? There's an, there's an angry, bitter, hateful, lost world out there filled with people who have been crushed, who need 
to know that they need God and the only way that they will humanly get that is from you. By being different than they are. There are people in this world who have known nothing. And I'm not talking about foreign countries. I'm talking right here in western Pennsylvania. There are people who have known nothing but heartache their whole life. You have no idea what the people at your work have gone through. You have no conception unless they tell you. And we're called to show them love and kindness. We're to show them the love that God has shown us. That's what brings lost people to their knees. That's how we wage war. We don't collect Philistine foreskins. We love people until they realize that God is real. So may God give us the grace to do that this week. Would you pray with me? Lord our God, you give us a lot of things to do. We confess that we fail at them. And we find them difficult. But we pray, Almighty God, that you would give us the grace we need to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we ask this in Christ's name who did just that. Amen.